Phantom Doubleday Dell Audio Publishing presents Star Wars. Hello there. Welcome to this special edition of the Woodward's Podcast. We're doing the Woodward's Star Wars special as the uh, the, the days uh, counting down till The Force Awakens turn from double digits to single digits. Um, I thought I could do a special podcast uh, before the movie comes out to preview uh, my thoughts and uh, my fears and concerns and just to shell out all of my excitement and then do a, uh, a podcast afterwards to kind of review everything in, in total nerd depth. Um, for everyone listening out there who are fans of the film cast, we will have our normal film cast on the Star Wars The Force Awakens movie. But I thought we'd do some more additional stuff for you more nerdier fans out there. So, to join me is my good friend Alexander. Alexander, how are you today? I'm doing great, Kale. How are you? I'm, uh, I, I cannot begin to explain the emotions that I'm feeling as we uh, come down to what's basically a week before, oh, man, I can't believe I'm saying it, the, the seventh episode of the Star Wars series. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to believe. I mean, after all, I feel like it was just uh, just yesterday I was sitting in my room and they announced that Disney purchased Lucasfilm and all of a sudden they're announcing episode seven in 2015. I'm like, no way. I for sure didn't believe it. I'll tell you that. Um a little background here. We're, we're kind of going off the, the beaten path of the site's uh, mission statement a little bit because Alexander here is not from Michigan. It's usually a Detroit-centric uh, pop culture site. But really when it comes down to it, I thought I'd bring Alexander on. And, and when, the sh- when the movie comes out, we'll do a post-podcast uh, with another one of my friends, Andrew. Uh, Alexander and Andrew, we, uh, we go back a long time ago uh, in a galaxy far, far away called Jedi Academy which was a, uh, a sequel in the Star Wars Dark Forces video game series. And uh, we met on the internet playing video games. Yep. And that led a little bit to uh, sharing Star Wars fandom week in and week out for the last 10 years. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, that was a long time ago. We're talking back in the halcyon days of 2004. Was it was it oh four? Was that your was that when I first met you? Yep, because I remember receiving the because I went to New Orleans on a trip that July, and my aunt, who had not seen me in a couple of years, gave me a lot of belated birthday and Christmas gifts, and one of those was a copy of Jedi Academy. So I was stoked, mm. and I got home, and in August I installed it, played through the story, and then I realized I actually had internet for the first time in my life that could support online multiplayer. Yeah, I had the same out. situation, yeah. <laughs> you had dial-up, and then you had, like, broadband or DSL that yeah. allowed you to, like, go online and play with people. Yeah, DSL was, I mean, there were some of the other games I was playing online at the time, thanks to that, but Jedi Academy just kind of, like, dominated my attention after I realized I had, I could play online wielding lightsabers and blasters against the you know, people I knew, or I was gonna know. Gonna know, mm-hmm. and then shooting the shit with them, <laughs> basically all the time for the next 11 years. You know, actually, I know it was 2004, too, because we had, we, our, we were in a clan, which is kind of astute why do we call it that <laughs> i think that was the norm like i think that's that's not really a star wars it's a holdover from like uh what is like yeah, games, I like think... world of warcraft and stuff when you join up you form clans and stuff and yeah kind of and i think about the mmo world like if you're a group of other people playing you're a clan 
or a clan. I think that when, when Academy came out in 2003, there was kind of this transition from calling it a clan to calling it a guild. And I think I like guild better. But anyways, we were <laughs> we were in a clan <laughs> together called Fog, the Hand of God. And um, we had a, we had internet forums. And I actually, I've, I've recently gone back to those forums. They still exist. One of the forum pages was about the lead up to episode three in 2005 so we we obviously (laughs) we obviously knew each other before then um and we'll get to episode three later but i you know i can't stress again how crazy it is because you look back at those forums and we we all as as rampant rabid star wars fans we all thought that was the last time we'd ever set foot in a theater to see a live action star wars movie Yes, I mean, George Lucas even came out and said this was it. His story this was six films. Yeah. He told it. He's done. Move on with your life. And, and he so was I done. Did. And as you said, uh, he sold the company to Disney in 2012. And, and basically immediately. And I remember the day very vividly. Um, they uh, announced that they were going to make the seventh movie. Now, we're going to go through here and just kind of talk about because uh, I think it's fun before we take our first step into a much larger world next Thursday or Friday whenever we see it um, I think it's good to look back and kind of establish why this is more than just a movie premiere and that's really what this first podcast is all about because you know I can say that uh, I, I don't think this is hyperbole but in a, in a cert, from a certain point of view uh, I think my life's going to be a little different after I, next Thursday do you feel that way, or is that a little overreaction? No, I, I, I definitely feel like something's going to change, um, hopefully for the better. Uh, you mean in terms of you know the Star Wars franchise, or like you as a... Well, I, I, yeah, I guess I, well, I mean, I guess all-encompassing all <laughs> me, my, uh, my affinity for the Star Wars franchise, how that relates to me and my friends, what we talk about... Mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm going to see it with people I know. I'm going to talk yeah. about it with people I know after the fact. And if we're not all on the same page or we all, you know, agree it's terrible, it's maybe it's, I mean, it's it's an event to be sure. And, I mean, like in any major event that happens in a person's life, like birth, death, marriage, wedding, and whatnot, I mean, you're going to have, everyone's going to kind of perceive it differently and everyone's going to come away with it with, you know, it's like was life changing or it was something they'd rather never discuss again hope to forget kind of yeah. thing. I think that's a good way to that's a good way to put it. And I think that it's I guess to sum out there and this is why I'm doing this separate than the film cast because uh, Mitch and Colin the guys I do the podcast with every week and they're they're casual Star Wars fans, but I think there's just not you know not even a select few of us, but there's a lot of people out there like me and you and, and Andrew who I'll, we have some comments from him that I'm going to sprinkle throughout here. You know, it is, it's, it's crazy, but next Thursday is like a life event. Yeah. I mean, it is. think about the the last movie that you just met, like Revenge of the Sith, when we thought it was all over, we were teenagers. I mean, I was 16, for Christ's sake. I yeah. just recently got my license to drive. I had, I mean, I still, someone had to still drop me off at the uh, theater to buy tickets. And I ended up going with my parents the next day because I had a uh, school off. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a real a lot of stuff has happened to me in ten years, and I'm sure a lot of stuff has happened to you and Andrew and just about every other Star Wars fan of a certain age or of any age, really. And we never thought that when we were 26 and you know in the professional world and like full fledged adults that we would be getting this other movie. 
And I guess which brings us to our first kind of section here, which is where our, you know, I, th- I wanted to talk a little bit about where our Star Wars fandoms began. Um, and I guess the, the first question I have for you to kind of start that off would be, you know, I guess, for, so you're, uh, when were you born? 88 or 89? Yeah, I was born 88. So I'm 90. So we're in that same age group where a lot of our friends who are who are our age became Star Wars fans, you know, with the prequels. Um, I'm not that way. I, I was a bigger fan of the original trilogy before the prequels. But I wanted to see from you, like, where, do you remember your fandom starting? And, like, how did that happen? Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember it pretty clearly. Um, there was actually two threads that kind of led to me uh, being a Star Wars fan. The first thread, which is I don't normally talk about, is one of mystery. Um, and it's kind of ambiguous. It's one of those things where, you know, as a kid, you read really out of a memory. And the memories of uh, having an alarm clock by my bedside as a, probably I was maybe like six, seven years old, or I actually had to be younger than that, maybe four to six. And it was a Star Wars alarm clock. And it was clearly dated. It was from probably the ni- late 1970s. And it came with a little statuette attached to a 3PO and R2D2. With some, you know, random, clearly not very Star Wars inspired, but not actually Star Wars, you know, approved designs all over the place. And at the bottom, on the front of it was a bo- uh, the bottom of it, and it said Star Wars in big chrome letters. And there was a bubble next to it that had a picture of a, a very menacing looking mast crea- creation on it. And at the time, I had no idea what this was. I didn't know what the golden dude and the little white robot looking thing were. I had no idea what Star Wars was. So it was always no. kind of an enigma what this was how old were you i had to have been like four or five okay and uh i'm pretty sure at some point uh i i asked about and i found out from my mother that it wasn't a gift from my mom or dad it was from my mom's sister-in-law uh her my aunt the same aunt i just mentioned that i saw in new orleans to you Mm -hmm. back when i got ja apparently she was a huge star wars fan loved it i mean she was just loved it to death and that was one of her pieces of memorabilia from the film that you know she kind of donated to my mom to let me have since i was of a certain age but that's all i had was that alarm clock mm-hmm. um so that's the first thread and that was kind of something that kind of lingered with me at the very back of my mind for a long time uh well, the more commonly accepted what about uh, origin of my star wars fan and i'd say would begin uh, around this time of year, actually, in uh, 1997, that was the year, as you know, of the Star Wars special editions being released in theaters. But at mm-hmm. that point, they had already come and gone. Uh, I feel at that point, though, due to their pervasiveness in pop culture at the time, I had to have seen some of the VHSs. Um, I definitely have uncollected memories of seeing snippets, certain scenes, like the Wampa attack at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back the whole Tatooine sequence of A New Hope mm-hmm. and uh, some of the, like, the Endor final battle in Return of the Jedi. But I mean, it, was, it was really fragmented. Like, I wasn't able to see the whole film. I'm not really sure why that was. But that, this, that December, uh, I was in my third grade classroom and we had, like, a little uh, round-robin gift exchange. You know, everyone brought a gift, a little small under $10 right. gift. We sat in a circle and we would pass them around. And after a certain amount of time, we would stop. And whatever gift you ended up in your hand was what you got. And uh, I definitely remember getting mine, opening it up, and under it was a Boba Fett action figure with Shadows of the Empire packaging on it. No way. It's my first 
Star, my first legit, my own Star Wars merchandise was a Boba Fett action figure, which but, I still but have. But from the Shadows of the Empire line, which was a really cool line of action figures, I remember. I had Chewbacca and Luke. They were sweet. Yeah, I have the I have the Chewbacca. I got that oh. one late. But uh, love yeah, the, the Boba love Fett the Chewbacca. One, the Boba Fett one really kicked my like. You know, it brought to the fore again that mystery about what Star Wars was because I recognized the name. It said Star Wars. I mm-hmm. remember the alarm clock, and I started putting two and two together. And it dawned on me, I think I remember having at some point the realization, like, oh, my God, looking at that clock, that weird mask robot face on the front, that's Darth Vader. <laughs> that, that Darth Vader's face had been staring me in my eye from as I woke up from my bed every morning for, like, the last, you know, three years. Yeah. And I had no clue who he was. And even though I, I did admit later on that the, the, the painting was a little bit stylized, it wasn't like a photograph of Darth Vader's helmet. So you could forgive me for a bit if I thought it really was something else entirely. But yeah, that Boba Fett action figure really kicked it off because then I wanted to see more of the films in their entirety. And that's when I found out, you know, from my dad, like, well, in case you hadn't heard, you know, early 1990, there's another Star Wars movie coming out in a year, a year from now. I'm like, no way. That's awesome. And, so I mean, it was just an avalanche from there. So did you do you remember sitting down and watching the full movies for the first time, or no? Was it just kind of like? No, I think there's. It, unfortunately, I think because of those earlier brief moments seeing it, maybe it was on TV too. Yeah. Or in, seeing it on the older VHSs that had come out in early in the '90s, I kind of tarnished that when I eventually did sit down and you know want to watch each of the original films in order. I kind of like, you know, I got to points of the film where I was like, oh, I remember this. And I'm like, oh, that's that. I can't, like, I think the worst part is I can't even remember the distinct moment I, you know, had, I watched Empire Strikes Back and saw Darth Vader reveal his true identity. Well, that's funny because, I mean, so we're, because I don't either. And I don't remember, it's funny because, well, let me, mine kind of runs a little deeper, I guess, because I don't remember the first time I saw Star Wars. I don't remember... I don't remember ever not being a Star Wars fan. Like my envious. Well, it it you know, but I wish I did a little bit because um the reason I don't is probably because I had an older brother and he was really into Star Wars, I think, when he was like 8. So when I was 4, I just knew what it was and knew everything about it and we played the video games and we you know, we played Dark Forces back then. That was the first series before Jedi Academy. Um and my my, my uh, great uncle in 1982 was like really into technology and he got the VHS copy of A New Hope and that was just kind of passed down to my parents and they just played it for me like kind of probably when I was just sitting around just to probably to shut me up <laughs> they would put on A New Hope and and it, from there it was just magical I mean that was I was drawn into literally you know at that age you think it's a universe I mean you you don't really believe it exists but it's like anything else in your imagination it, it, it's just dear to your soul and it touches something uh to Somewhere your space this may all be happening right, right now. now right that's the classic uh 1977 trailer uh voiceover where they say that um but that's what I believed and I do remember my I remember my grandma Rita. Uh, she she bought me Empire Strikes Back. We didn't have it. She bought me it. But and I remember jump. I actually literally, dude. I'm not kidding. I remember jumping into her arms when she brought it home from Kmart. And that's very specific, <laughs> but I remember it. Do you know what Kmart is? Do you guys have that? Do you ever have that down yeah, there? There's still quite a few Kmart's down. That's here. hilarious. That's a Detroit company that. Now it doesn't really. I mean, they're bankrupt and they're owned by Sears. Um. Anyways. Um. 
But I don't remember not knowing. I think that I just knew. I honestly think that when I watched Star Wars, I think my parents said, you know, that's Luke's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe they did I'll that. spoiled it for you. I think that maybe they did that so that I wouldn't be traumatized when I found out, you know? Because I think I might have. I might have been. I can see how I've read stories about parents showing their kid, very young kids Star Wars for the first time and they're kind of like not sure how to present it and the kids not just you know being destroyed but definitely they were emotionally affected by such a reveal right especially in a post a prequel world but I mean that's another story right I mean imagine if you didn't know that Anakin was Darth Vader and then all of a sudden he's killing children in episode three. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's got to be traumatizing. I've heard stories, too, and I don't really know if this is true, but I've heard stories that before the release of Empire Strikes Back, George Lucas actually sat down and talked with some psychologists about how this would affect children. And uh, they said, "Ah, don't worry about it. (laughs) And we're glad they gave him that advice because, um, really, to me, uh, that's the best movie. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, I wanted to throw in Andrew again, who didn't, who couldn't make it with us tonight, because he's uh, he's he's a little ill. But he he said that he he was about five years old too. So around that age seems to be the potent age to become a Star Wars fan in the '90s. Um, but he just remembers watching A New Hope with his father, and uh, he said that Return of the Jedi was his favorite because of you know the the orbital battle and around the Death Star too. So, which brings me to, um, I guess the first question, the other question I want to ask is, what was your favorite growing up? Oh, in the okay. for the original trilogy, I guess. Yeah. Let's start um, with that. Well, I, almost no contest. It was the Empire Strikes Back. Though there were times Return of the Jedi really made a play for you know, what I what chose to rewatch a lot, but mm-hmm. I mean, definitely Empire Strikes Back. I mean, thematically. Oh, I can go on for hours about that. But well, well so I want to add, but let me ask though: Was that your favorite growing up, or is that your favorite now? I mean, I'm sure it's your favorite now, but as a, as like a child, that was your favorite. Uh, well, you have to remember, I since I was in 19, you were a little older, yeah. I was about I was, I just turned nine when I right. got that that figure, so I, I I did read a lot, so a lot of the themes that I've kind of like picked up on, which weren't a whole lot, but were just enough from Empire Strikes Back, really resonated. It felt like you know it was. This was something that I loved the original Star Wars. It was fun. Maybe I laughed, I cried, I had a great time. But watching Empire Strikes Back was like, you know, like watching something that, you know, had rel- that would have, I knew would have relevance later on. Like there was more to it than just, you know, the laughs, the action, the adventure, the danger that I experienced in the first Star Wars film. Right. And that kind of came across also in Return of the Jedi, but not, not quite as much. I don't know, maybe it's because it's my age. I think my appreciation of Return of the Jedi grew a lot more as I got older and but it also fed into my appreciation for Empire Strikes Back so it heightened that as well so they kind of like both grew in importance to me as the years went on mm-hmm. I I think for me I, I I don't think Empire was my favorite growing up just because I was maybe a simpleton and didn't really care for a lot of the middle part of that movie you know yeah I, I, it, it, is, it is kind of slow it's kind of a slow burn at times but at the same time, um, it's it's funny because as I've grown, I mean, Empire, I honestly believe, and I could write a book about this, I think it's one of the greatest, if not the greatest movie ever made. I really believe that. I think there's so much balance. There's so much originality. It goes against typical film structure, but you wouldn't guess because it's so entertaining and engaging. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little grim. And I think that 
what's so powerful about empire is that um the kind of like you know yoda says it to luke but really george lucas was saying it to the audience back then was that you need to unlearn what you have learned meaning star wars the original is like luke's fantasy everything goes right um in an empire it's like yeah dude but you still got a lot to learn to be who you want to be and yeah i think you know it comes from clerks too which is that the, the ending of empire is a down note and a lot of people like it because it ends on a down note and life ends on a down note and you know that's just a series of down notes that that'll clip from clerks but i think it's more than that i think it's i think empire is more it's the most spiritual of the films and i think that it i think looking back on it to be honest with you and, and even now it has touched me in a in a philosophical way probably as much as any parental guidance or as any religious guidance has i mean i don't know empire really does affect me in that way i'm glad you touched on that how it, you know it, it led to you know that introspective guidance and other aspects of your life because that's really i think that was my first clue why i said i liked empire as a kid was because i kind of felt like it gave me some kind of like a compass of sorts like you know it said more from you know all the the stuff yoda said about what the force was i mean i instantly i realized you know this is what defines star wars to me it also kind of like started, it was, those, those, it was those first hints of me, you know, like gaining an appreciation for like, what am I going to stand for when I'm older? What will I believe in? Whose side will I fight for? And, you know, what am I going to hold near and dear to my heart when I, you know, when I go through life? Am I going to make decisions based on, you know, my passions and when I get angry or sad or upset or am I going to, you know, stay true, you know, to, you know, what I've learned and being patient, right. taking things as they come. Yeah, it, it it comes back to again, you know, adventure, excitement. <laughs> you know, a Jedi yeah. craves not those things. It's it, there's more to life than that. It's you know, those things are fun, but it's about searching for something a little bigger, which you know, ironically, size matters not. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah, um, totally. And I I think I I always try to explain Star Wars to people like this too, where like I I my attention was caught by the cool looks and the special effects and the lightsabers but i kept coming back for the philosophy and the mythology and the powerful nature of the story and the characters and i think that's what's why it's unique and why it's going to be the bit why and then what you know why this movie coming out next week is gonna be the biggest movie ever made because people are craving that guidance again i think in a in a certain yeah. sense yeah, and uh, for you, know, you can have multiple reasons for why they didn't get that guidance earlier or not, but it's it's definitely something that people are yearning for. And heck, I'm yearning for it too. And like I said, I'm 26, 27 years old now. Jeez, and I could use a little, you know, a little bit of excitement and fa- of the fantastical nature in my life again. I I mean I know I can. I I know that <laughs> probably for that reason. <clears throat> too, I, I I think I guess I didn't really answer, but my favorite growing up was Jedi. I don't know. Did you not like Jedi when you were younger? No, I liked it, but I mean, there was definitely a clear delineation. I don't. I guess it was just it just lacked. I don't know. It didn't have enough Yoda. I think that was my rationale. I felt mm. like it was kind of sad that Yoda had to die. Yeah. But I mean, I think I think it was just I didn't really. I think also out of all the three films, I know I sat down and watched them all. But for some reason, I don't think I ever saw that one in its special edition form until much later on. Like, I feel like I have memories of seeing almost a different Return of the Jedi than most people saw. Like, I don't remember really the whole uh, 
remade like Jabba's palace dance scene at the beginning. I still remember like size snoodles and all that puppet work instead. It was yeah. like somehow, so like I guess I feel like because it was the video rental days that maybe they didn't have the special edition of Return of the Jedi available at the time. So my parents would just rent the old version, which was still there. And that's how I got exposed to it. Well, that's not like, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's, I don't know. I saw it later when I had the DVDs and everything. I was like, yeah, this is kind of fun <laughs> in yeah, a way. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know, it was weird. I also had like, I also, I feel like I was exposed more to Return of the Jedi because I also, I don't know where I got it, but somehow I picked up like the original Return of the Jedi storybook that came out. And it was nice, like big hardback, made for kids kind of distillation of the story using real photographs from the film. Mm-hmm. And I, I poured over that thing endlessly, even though when I, even though I didn't have the film. And it was kind of different because much like the novelizations of the movies, uh, they don't really follow like, the, the stuff in the book that is not actually seen in the final film. Yeah, it's funny how that that happens. And sometimes we, as I think as kids, we format the stories in our head based on like the novelizations or the comics or the toys or the video games because they're different than the movies. I grew up with when I wasn't watching the movies, which is almost every day when I was like six, I was listening to the like kind of like the children's audiobook versions of Empire and Jedi, and they were. It was like those read was like those read-alongs. Like you had a little book with pictures and words, and they read to you on tape like the story and you could follow along i think so yeah i had that's what i had for a new hope and i remember that was i remember the best part of that was always like i guess the voice actors and they use actual special effects sounds yeah yeah felt like you were watching the movie just it was being read to you instead i remember very vividly just this i don't know why it always cracked me up but in the return of the jedi when leia comes in disguised as the bounty hunter um and return of the jedi the narrator goes you know someone walks in it's a bounty hunter named Bosch. <laughs> and I don't know why I have that vivid memory in my head, but I thought it was, I always used to crack me up. But yeah, they were Bosch. different. I mean, it's funny too how you talk about this old, this alarm clock that was at your bedside and, um, you know, the, the, novel, the novelizations or the, or the storybooks and, and all these different ways that we experience Star Wars. It's, it's just, it, it's easy to mock merchandising and especially when it comes to Star Wars. But oh, yes, and it you know there's definitely valid criticism in all of it. I it's definitely I'm feeling a little oversaturation with the Force Awakens too right now. I'm not gonna lie, but you you haven't bought space balls, space balls, the flamethrower. <laughs> you haven't bought that yet. I've got the, three. <laughs> space balls, the lunchbox. Uh, well, it's you know I had all that, not space balls, but Star Wars. But mm. I'm saying you know it's easy to mock it, but like that's kind of where a lot of our fandoms began. You know, it's kind of a attributed which i guess is the point right of right of marketing yeah but you know we we will always have those vivid memories of it yeah um i wanted to point i mean the thing about jedi though and i know a lot of people kind of it's maybe like the weakest of the three in the original i don't believe that but i don't believe it either i think that it's sometimes lost how deep it is in a way i mean what i've blogged about this before but what i've always loved about and I think I this resonated with me as a kid too because I've been talking to this is actually hilarious when this all this started happening the Force Awakens stuff Adam who you know who played with yeah. us King he um, Adam King yeah he made some comment to me about how he, one of his first memories of me was playing lightsabers in the backyard and <laughs> and uh, 
And he lost, you know, I hit his lightsaber out of his hand and I had him pinned down and, or something like this. And, and I, I don't know if this is true, Adam, I may be flipping the story here, but I went and grabbed his lightsaber and gave it back to him. And he, and he said to me recently, he was like, I was amazed because you were, what you were doing was teaching me how to be a Jedi, <laughs> which is that, you know, you don't, you don't attack, right? Like that kind of philosophy yeah. and shit. Yeah. Definitely don't attack while some of your so your opponents down. Just down, unarmed. And I I say that because I, and that's why I think Jedi resonated with me so much because it's a really actually is a fascinating story about Luke Skywalker because there he is at the end of the movie and he's being told by the good guys Yoda and Obi Wan that in order to complete his goals he needs to kill Darth Vader, and he's being told by the bad guys. Darth Sidious that in order to do it in order to get out of this he needs to kill Darth Vader and what he ends up realizing is that they're both wrong and that the best situation here is to not fight yeah I mean he basically is given two solutions but he chooses he chooses neither and he makes up his own I mean he literally invents his own solution which is not to fight at all right which is crazy to me and and honestly like that Lawrence Kasdan and Richard Marquand and George Lucas back then were like because I think the easy way out there is, right, he just defeats Darth Vader and, you know, there's like a little a little scene there where he says, I'm sorry, you know, I was a bad father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, sorry, but, kid. They, but they came out with this cool idea that, like, you know, the Jedi and the Sith, which weren't called that back then and we'll get to that later, is that, you know, they're both wrong and Luke is the balance. I, that's how I always felt about it. And that's why Empire still, I think like aesthetically the best movie but jedi doesn't it doesn't get as much credit as it deserves i think oh definitely i feel like people forget the whole lot of great stuff that happened in that film i mean come on the whole ending is just incredible uh what do you think what do you think what do you sorry what do you think about the blu-ray changes where darth vader says no like twice Dude, to give you the completely honest truth, I have avoided that Blu-ray ending at all possible costs. Wow. Uh, I, I, I think I listened to it on YouTube just cause, cause so I could say, like, I, at least no one can accuse me of not having given it a chance. And it was exactly as bad as I imagined it would be. And I was like, I don't know. It, it was so, at this age, I just it's locked into me how Return of the Jedi ends. Like, mm-hmm. it's, I can recite that scene in my sleep if someone tried to make me. And in that scene, it was just so perfect. Darth Vader, you know, he's having an internal struggle. You don't need to hear what he's saying. That was like if he, like, that's as if he was monologuing, you know, oh gosh, I couldn't save my wife, couldn't save myself, I couldn't save my master, right. I couldn't even save myself. What do I do? I can save my son. And it turns, you know, I mean, it would, you don't need to think that. You don't need to hear that. You can, everyone's thinking it. Like, mm-hmm. You know what's going through his mind. I mean, the masterful. I guess you could call it that, the masterful not turn of the head that David Prowse does. He looks back at the Emperor and then back at Luke, and you, you know he's going through stuff. And after the prequels came out, that only further enhances, because now you know what Anakin has done. You know what he's seen. Right. And this is the moment where you know Darth Vader dies, and the first Sith goes down, and Anakin comes back to fulfill his destiny. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't him saying no, I mean, saying no is not bad inherently, but just... I mean, why? I, it seemed like a pointless addition. And especially since they recycled the audio from the end of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. No, that's I mean, all the no's. Cheap. I mean, geez, I mean, how busy was James Earl Jones that day? You couldn't bring him in just to re record a different no? 
busy enough to come in for the season uh, premiere of uh, Star Wars Rebels. Clearly. Um, no, you know, I agree 110% with you. And at the same time, I cannot lie and say that I didn't get chills the first time I heard it, though. I don't know why. Maybe it was just because it was jarring to hear and see that at the same time or what. But I think it's better without it. But, you know, there is a certain emotion that is added to it, I guess. But I do agree. I think so much was said without saying anything at all. And I think that's the yeah. best way to do it. It's a, and it's I mean like it may it could be just me and I mean I feel like at this point I've seen them film so many times it's almost watched when I watch them again it's not really to remember or to you know replay scenes to like it's like having a cerebral moment where I'm like just it's like I'm just processing it on my own while the images come before me and uh, it, like it's an experience that doesn't it's not the passive experience of watching a film for the first time it's like you know what's happening already it's just I'm appreciating it on a whole other level and then you throw in something like him going no it's like what <laughs> now i've got to readjust now i've got to think about it and then of course like i that leads into what i already explained to you like this why was it necessary why wasn't there yeah and i can't um, i can't watch jedi now with i can't watch any of the films without having that kind of cerebral you know uh enjoyment of it that goes beyond just sitting there and looking at moving pictures it's I I mean, if they i mean if they did it's any movie any even uh, even other even other than uh, Return of the Jedi, if they added random dialogue to Vader in episodes four or five, or even in episodes one, two, and three, it's it still it jar me just as much. Like, why? Why do you have him just suddenly utter this? I don't, this masked character utter this out of nowhere. Well, I think a good comparison might even be because it's 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 my it's one of my top five favorite scenes of all six movies is the binary sunset scene in A New Hope. And that's a scene with no dialogue. And it's, you know, it's another scene that says so much without saying anything at all. Um, it would be like the equivalent of them adding, you know, voiceover from Luke being like, oh, I'm so pissed that my life sucks here on Tatooine. While he's like looking at the sunset. Yeah, you could totally do it. Yeah, because his back is turned. Yeah, you could do it. They could easily edit in a little slight voiceover like, I'm never getting off this planet. And then <laughs> the music swells or something. I'm never going to get those power converters. Or like when he, you know, he kicks the rock on the way up to the, <laughs> if he's like, fuck this rock, yeah. and he kicks it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, now we've never before heard dialogue. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's that's George Lucas's addition, and it, just to be like, oh, Force Awakens is PG-13? Well, here's your R-rated version of A New Hope. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's not that never strikes happens. back. Um, th- so that is my, that's one of my favorite scenes, the binary sunset scene um, of the of the original trilogy. Another one of my favorite scenes, probably one of my favorite scenes of all history of cinema, is also just the final trench run of New Hope. Because I, I still think it's, it's kind of like it's similar to the decision of uh, having Luke not fight at the end of Jedi. That the decision from George Lucas that Luke wouldn't use his targeting computer to, you know, fire two meter wide proton torpedoes into a two meter wide exhaustion port. Um, is like genius to me. I don't know why. I always think that it gives me chills every time he turns off his targeting computer. I'm like, oh yeah, because yeah. I definitely get chills in that scene too. Because it's all about him trusting in himself. I'm reading a Joseph Campbell book. Um, you know Joseph Campbell? Yeah, I have yeah. a I have a copy of all, a lot of his books. Like his whole he did a whole series on myth and all culture. It's like a four book series, and he of course I have the hero with a thousand faces. Right, I'm of course, and he was obviously a big inspiration for Star Wars uh, to George Lucas. And I'm reading one of his. Um, I'm reading the Power of Myth. Do you have that one? 
Uh, I do not have that one actually. It's also like a PBS documentary series. It's just a conversation with him and a and like a journalist. Oh yeah, I, I've seen the I've seen some of the PBS show. I've right, I've never right. seen that. So the book is like it's just more. It's like unedited. Um, anyways, there's a whole section about how like that scene in that movie is all about how and and why he thought that 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 was so powerful. Joseph Campbell thought that that scene was so powerful in Star Wars was that it was so interesting to see in 1977 a movie like that that said technology is not going to save us. Like, you know, we're going to get better as a society through science and technology, but at the end of the day, it's like looking inward and trusting in the human spirit, which is cheesy, but I think it's a cool cinematic scene. And that's always been one of my favorites. Um, first of all, do you buy into any of that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how much I buy into George Lucas directly lifting all that stuff as he made the films, like, in real time. But, I mean, there's no doubt he was influenced by it. And I definitely see it. I saw it as I got older and I started studying mythology and stuff. And it was really apt comparisons to make. I definitely feel like it only increases my appreciation for the films. And it will undoubtedly influence how I perceive, like, the new films as they come out. Because I do expect there to be a certain level of, you know, that you know, those elements in the new films, regardless of whether or not they're made for the fans or following mm-hmm. George's vision. Mm-hmm. Well, like he said, he he was like, George Lucas said that he hopes that they're not about spaceships. Yeah. Right? And basically, yeah, basically what he's saying, they're not about, you know, the effects and actually the telling a story here about people. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's one of you, what is your do you have a favorite scene from the original trilogy? I mean, is it one of the ones we've talked about, or is it some? Uh, no, actually, I was surprised you didn't mention it, but it was the uh, definitely my favorite scene is the when Yoda lifts the X-wing fighter from the swamp in Empire Strikes Back, and of course all the speech that happens right before and immediately after that. That was, I mean, if you want a scene, I feel it demonstrates exactly the power of the Force, which is you know until that point it just kind of been like a small kind of like almost magician's hand waving kind of trick sort of thing and mm-hmm. that shows you that it's i mean it's it's a simple act kind of really when you think about him mean, he's just lifting a giant piece of machinery into the air and plopping on the ground but it at that moment luke's doubt is so strong and he's so you know completely at a loss i mean you can the acting mark hamill does is perfect for you know the young guy that completely is no out of his league he has no idea what's going on and he's just you know ready to throw in the towel and yoda just almost effortlessly effortlessly shows him you know what the force is really capable of and right. it's not you know it's it's not as something it's not something like you know choking someone to death or you know tricking a, a dumb stormtrooper into letting you pass a checkpoint it's you know it's it's bigger than what you believe in like even i mean that example was applicable to luke but it, the lesson there that he was conveying that it's always bigger and more it's filled with more possibility than anything you can you know accept in this reality and that if you open yourself up to it, you know, it'll be, it's going to always be there with you. It's going to uplift you in ways you can't even possibly imagine. And that stuff has been alluded to, like Obi-Wan, you mm-hmm. know, with his ghost ability, telling Darth Vader that if he killed him, he'd be more powerful than he could possibly imagine. And, of course, it gets honed in more in Return of the Jedi with Vader's redemption and the prequels, of course, expand on numerous on the Jedi's powers. But the Empire Strikes Back, that scene is where... I don't know, it hit me with the force of a pile driver, what really it means when you talk about the power of the force. And, I mean, that really set the mood of uh, the things in Star Wars that I like. I mean, some people will say they love the space battles, and that's their favorite part. Other people will say 
they love the uh, they love like the romance between Han and Leia and how that plays out over t- two or three films. Mm-hmm. And other people will say something completely out of the left field, like, "Oh, I just loved you know looking at every different droid that's in the background scenes of the films." And for me, though, it's really all about you know that that undercurrent of the Force and how it the peep the two factions that try to utilize it, the Jedi and the Sith. As I feel like you know the, the whole Star Wars films are kind of like you know the Lord of the Rings to all that EU stuff from before Cimmerillion, you know, that most people aren't familiar with, but it yeah. is the backstory and it provides like this greater narrative that if you want to explore it, you can appreciate it. And I don't know, at this stage, it's just, it really makes for a, a, a more fuller viewing experience of the films. Right. I, I, I did always, I mean, obviously, like I said, everything and everything of Yoda's, you know, wisdom and, and speeches and inspiration, they did always hit home for me. And that, that scene is actually, it's obviously up there as one of the best. Because like you say, it, that's that was the biggest way to like show what the Force really is. And that, you know, really to hit home quite literally that size matters not. I mean, I think it is so cool to see a three-foot frog <laughs> lift a spaceship out of the water with nothing, you know. Yeah, and the great thing is, as the scene ends, it's not even ends on an uplift. You're amazed. You know, Luke is amazed. Like, the audience is amazed because we finally see what the Force is killed. But at the end, Yoda is kind of like, you know, Yoda is kind of dismissive of it. And Luke tells him he doesn't believe it. And Yoda just flat out tells him, that's, that's why, why you why fail. You fail. Yep. And that's, I mean, then it makes you think as an audience. Like, well, Absolutely. shoot, maybe, maybe I, you, just when you thought you understood, maybe you haven't. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's more to it, and that's tr- that's exactly what you was trying to prove. There is there is more to it. I've just I, seen I, the beginning of it, and I'm still I still go back to those scenes and try to figure out really what they all mean. I'm still trying to figure out what do or do not really means. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm on one hand, you can take it just as crazy script writing, but I mean, it no, it's not. No, I, but I but I, I don't mean it. I mean in that it's so rich that you can go back to it and view it in a different way. Like, as you say, as you, oh, you know, I see. as you get older, you see it in a different way kind of thing. Like, a lot of what you, a lot of the truths we cling to depend on our points of view. And those change exactly. throughout the day and throughout the years. And that's, what's really cool about all those Yoda scenes, I honestly, is that you can go back to those as a 15-year-old and as a 25-year-old and say, you know, I see that differently, but I'm still getting something from it. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um... You, you know, the other thing that, uh, just to build, we've, as we close up kind of our Star Wars history and our original trilogy thoughts, I would be remiss not to bring this up because it really was another way that I experienced the movies without the movies was the music. I was always drawn to John Williams' score from the get-go. And I would, my mom took the vinyl and recorded it on tape so that I could <laughs> listen to it wherever I went. I would play nice. it throughout the house and like, use my micro machines in my hands and have my own fights with this John Williams music in the background. I, I always just, it's, there's no question in my mind that if he did not do the music for that movie, they would not have been what they were and what they are. And I definitely wouldn't have got so in, engrossed into the fandom of it all. If, if there was no John Williams music, did you have a, a musical appreciation for star Wars when you were younger? Uh, unfortunately, I don't really think I, I kind of took it for granted, I think, which I feel bad because, I mean, what if John Williams hadn't made it to, like, you know, the modern dad would be like, oh, shoot, I didn't really appreciate what we had until he was gone. But, no, luckily, I mean, as I grew, I wasn't really, a, as a person, I wasn't really well-versed in music growing up. I, mm-hmm. 
there was forays made into band when I was in sixth grade, and I played the French horn, a very orchestral instrument. Nice. But nice. I got just sick. I got sick of the band instructor, the band instructors, and I just told, gave them a big fu at the end of my sixth grade year. And I was like, I'm not doing band ever again. And my sister, however, wants to go on a pretty illustrious music uh, hobby, playing piano and lots of pieces. And naturally, as I was exposed, I began to you know learn more about music in general. I began to appreciate. I guess John Williams' music as it, on its own, and of mm-hmm. course, naturally, I came back to Star Wars since that was an easy entry point. And the other films I've seen where his film and his, where his music was pretty defining, which I don't even need to begin the list of. I mean, like E.T. Yeah, and Indiana Jones, yeah. like that music just is. I mean, it like I can listen to it. That was like probably the first orchestral music that wasn't made from like a famous classical composer that I could just listen to without needing the the films to be on necessarily. Yeah, man. I mean, I can listen to the E.T. score and just follow the story. I mean, because it really does tell it in itself. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, um, I did. I did. I did. I did catch on quick enough that when episode one came out, I got I bought the CD for that, the whole soundtrack, not long after the film premiered. So I wasn't spoiled or anything, mm-hmm. but I was able to. I mean, I was listening to music and it was a way to transport me back to the film long after it had gone out of theaters. Because after it went out of theaters, I don't know if you remember this, but. There was a time period before we were able to get the VHS and then even a little bit longer to get the DVD. DVD. So, I mean, there was a time where I didn't have, I just had the theatrical experience of episode one, but that was it. And I had to rely on things like the soundtrack and the novelizations to kind of remind me of what I had seen. Right. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. To kind of segue into this, I want to ask you one more special edition question. All right. Which is? What do you think today, since the 2004 editions, about Hayden Christensen replacing Sebastian Shaw at the end of Return of the Jedi as a ghost? <laughs> uh, remember how earlier I said my uh, first like viewings of Return of the Jedi were kind of fragmentary, even yeah. after the special editions came out? So the ending was also something that kind of I never really latched onto because... Uh, I kind of I don't know if I my parents would turn it off before then because they assumed oh it's over you can go to bed or whatever <laughs> they won you know I never really I don't have really concrete images of seeing you know the original actor That's Sebastian funny. Shaw as Anakin's ghost so I'm sure I had seen it after the fact but at that point the DVDs were imminently about imminent to be released mm-hmm. I got the DVDs and I saw it and I don't know it just I was definitely I remember being a little bit weirded out seeing Hayden there but I was like. Yeah, makes sense. Like I don't know, it's just somehow it just Lucas's explanation for why he showed up instead of you know that old guy was because of the fact that you know I mean this is when Anakin was good, right? You know when they when he became Darth Vader, the good Anakin died, and he looked like this. When Obi Wan died, he looked like that. So that's why when Yoda died, he looked like that. So that's what we get. So I didn't understand why people. What were they expecting to see? So I'm like, if they want, if people that argue that it should have kept the original actor should have to accept that if Obi-Wan and Yoda look like the way they did when they died, then Anakin should look like a charred corpse with missing limbs, <laughs> scars all over his face. But that beautiful, those beautiful blue eyes and that, 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 you know, that charismatic yeah. smile and just have Luke recoil in horror like, geez, dang, That's dude. true. I never thought of that. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? That'll be yeah. the R-rated version of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise, otherwise it makes no sense why you should see this dude that has aged normally, that mm-hmm. has all his limbs, that yeah. looks completely like a. I mean, how would Luke even begin to recognize just good feelings? Yeah, I guess we no. could hand, wave a hand and say, "Oh, the Force told the him." Force, right? Who else would be there with Obi Wan and Yoda? 
not Mace Windu. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if but all I mean, these Jedi so- showed up, Luke would be like, "Oh yeah, hi. I mean, I don't even know any of you guys, but you can just come to my my Ewok village party, I guess." Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I just kind of accepted it. Like, I thought, okay, this this makes sense to me. I mean. I'm cool with it. It was only after the fact, you know, I was on the internet and people were just outraged. But I was no completely shit. taken aback. Why were people so incensed about? He's not acting. He's not saying anything. People, people, but people have cut down the minutia. Like I don't like the way he kind of has that sheepish turn of the head. He looks down like he's not supposed to be there. Dude. He's like he's like like oh, you got to be kidding me. This is this is what's really bringing you down the end of the film for you. A slight turn of the head. Dude, like, let's is, yeah. I mean like this segues perfectly i think into kind of the second half of both of ours and many people's star wars histories which is you know post 1999 and uh the the prequel era so to speak which to me at this point is just you know it to me it's star wars it's all star wars they're all equal it's all so I I don't have any problem with Hayden Christensen showing up at the end of Return of the Jedi like you said and the, like you uh, eloquent, eloquently explained as George Lucas has explained it makes a lot of sense if you think about it um, which brings us into the prequel era because I guess I want to the first question that I have is when we talk about the prequels is do you have what I would call prequel prequel angst Angst being, after seeing them, I was severely disappointed and will not hesitate when asked to express my disappointment vociferously for them. So Am I right? So, well, is that, is, yes, yeah. Are you, you know, are you, are, are you, are you prequel emo? Get ready for it, world. I'm about to drop some amazing fact on you. Uh-oh. I do not have prequel angst. I don't have a shred of it. I say that unashamed, and no one can change my mind. I enjoyed every film for on its own merits when it came out. I was 10 when The Phantom Menace came out. It was perfect age, since Anakin was roughly the same age in that film. Loved it. I watched Attack of the Clones at the rather you know impressionable age of 13. Mm-hmm. Loved that, too. You can't tell me the love story was bad, because at the age of 13, what 13-year-old boy actually knows what true love is? Absolutely. And frankly, Anakin at 19, after being, you know, he pretty much, they took nine-year-old Anakin and, you know, they threw him into a society, a society and culture where he's not supposed to express his feelings. So he's technically still kind of a nine-year-old who's only really aged emotionally to probably someone that's about 13. And same with Padme. I mean, Padme yeah. was thrown into being a queen at, at 12. Yeah, and now she's 24 in the Tag of the Clones, and okay, yeah, so they, they sound goofy when they talk, and they, they have a really weird, stilted form of romance. I can accept that. I, I don't, I, I mean, I, I love Revenge of the Sith even more. I mean, Revenge of the Sith is just right up there in, you know, some of my, you know, favorite films to rewatch over and over again. Mm-hmm. I love every bit of it. Even what, even though I will admit, by the time Revenge of the Sith came out, I was forming my own opinions on where Star Wars should go. I was a little upset with how some of the act I was aware of how some of the acting was kind of bad and <laughs> some of the interpretations of characters that I had been following avidly during the three years of the Clone Wars multimedia project kind of went a different direction yeah, uh, and I yeah. talk about General Grievous here who was mm-hmm. by far my favorite character I was you know really gunning for when the movie came out and then it was kind of like that's it when I after I saw the film 
this was this guy was the big badass of the last three years, and now he's just toast. Yeah, that was kind of disappointing. Just to interject here, I think what you're saying was that the the, the Gendy uh, Clone Wars series, yeah, Gendy Terracotta, whatever. Yeah, that dude, that stuff was amazing, and what they did with General Grievous was frightening. And I don't think that translated well into Episode Three. You know, yeah, like it, it wasn't it, the same character. I think there was so much. Because imagine, I mean, it, it, that's kind of crazy if you think about it. I mean, imagine if we had an animated series right now with Kylo Ren. That's kind of what it would be like. Yeah, they'd be building up this incredibly, like, mysterious but powerful mass badass. And then we watch The Force Awakens, for example, and he just gets knocked out an hour into the film. <laughs> right, that's what it would be like, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of crazy looking back on it that they did it that way. Um so, I, well, let me read what Andrew says here uh, about his prequel, Angst. He says he doesn't really have it either. Um, he says the prequels could have been made a hell of a lot better with a few key changes, but they're still entertaining and they're still Star Wars. And that's, you know, I think that's the that's, way I... That's a fair that, assessment. Yeah. yeah, that's the way I see it. I think that's the way you see it. I mean, um, I guess I'll start with my real-time experiences, which, is, which was that I was eight when I saw... The Phantom Menace, and like I've illustrated, I was a huge Star Wars fan up to that point. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because there was no Luke Skywalker, or because Darth Maul legitimately scared the shit out of me, or what. <laughs> but I I remember strongly walking out of that theater. We went to Uptown Parthenon on Orchard Lake Road with my family. And we sat down and had dinner, and I explained to everyone how I hated that movie. Yeah, I, I remember you written about this, and I've read it, but I'll let you uh, explain in full detail. Well, it's just so bizarre to me, looking back on it. I don't know what kind of Woody Allen, sad, depressed eight-year-old I was, that I couldn't just <laughs> enjoy the Padres scenes and Jar Jar and like little Jake Lloyd Anakin. But for whatever reason, I only found the bad in that movie. I don't know what it was. And I actually didn't watch episode one again until the night I saw episode two. We finally got a DVD player and the first DVD that my mother bought was episode one. And I watched it again and I still didn't like it as a, an 11 year old. And we, my family and I went that night though. My parents convinced me that we should go see it at midnight because that would be a cool experience and that's the new thing to do. And yeah. And we did it, and I don't know what happened to me as that 11-year-old, but something halfway through that movie really clicked, that this is awesome. <laughs> like, I maybe it was when Yoda started fighting or what, but I was like, you know, Kale, this is what you always wanted when you were younger, was to see more Star Wars movies, and here they are. And, you know, for the longest time, Attack of the Clones is one of my favorite movies. Because, like, oh, yeah. Same like, here. Because like you're saying, as an 11-year-old, or as in your case, a 13-year-old, I didn't give a shit about the love story. Like, you know, you as you just take those things for granted. Hot girl, hot guy in a movie, they get together. That's just what happens, you know? Yeah. T- I, like, teenage romance between attractive people. It was, like, all the rage in the early 2000s. Right. So you saw it in all the movies. It's like, I just didn't care. Like, that was, like, that's, that's just what happened, and I can uh, believe it. And then when episode three came out, now I'll say that I, I was almost completely spoiled going into episode three. I had like, oh no, yeah, I had like <laughs> read the script. I had seen a lot of the clips that had leaked from the video, 
from the video game and the Trivial Pursuit game. Um, and even so, I absolutely loved episode three to the point where, like, as a 14-year-old, I thought I was going to cry at some of those scenes. I don't oh. know why. It, it did hit it hit me like the idea I will, I will i will admit i during the order 66 sequence i probably shed a couple tears I'm not gonna lie yeah i mean for me I, I remember being blown and this was before i was kind of educated on the ways of uh literature <laughs> and like the fact that you know there's this a bit of oedipus thing going on in in the prequels in the sense that anakin tries to prevent one thing and by preventing it he actually makes it come true and yeah I had not read that in anything else before, so to see that come to life in episode three kind of blew me away, and it made me, like, it, it, to me it was just, this is the saddest story of all time, you know, Anakin loves someone very much, and he's having these premonitions that they're going to die, and he'll do anything to make sure that that doesn't happen, and by doing so, he accidentally kills them. I mean, it's crazy. I, I That really kind of broke my heart in a Natalie Portman way. <laughs> <laughs> back in back in 2005. Now, I will say, before I hear about your prequel story, that I get that they are not as good as the original trilogy. I understand that... Um, I understand that, you know, from a from an acting standpoint, from a dialogue standpoint, they're just not as good. Um, and I understand also that they don't follow the hero journey story, and I think that people are upset about that forever. But I think that's the point. I've always thought that that was the point of the prequels, was yeah. to, to be different, to show how this could go wrong. If they're you know, very different films, and they and tell a very different be. type of story. I mean, I mean, how else? What were they expecting to do? Completely rehash the original three in terms of like yeah. plot beats? Well, that might just happen starting next week. To be honest with you, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely discuss that in we, a little bit. We will. Um, <laughs> I would say, you know, little things like midi-chlorians, I, I think that that was supposed to be annoying. I think that George threw that in to say, look at these Jedi back then. They saw it as kind of a scientific measurability, whereas eventually Yoda and Obi-Wan realized that it, it's not about that, you know. It's more about the person, not about, again, it comes back to technology is not the answer here. It's not about science. It's not about... You know, there's supposed to be differing philosophies between the Jedi of Episode One and the Jedi of Episode Four, and I think yeah. he did that intentionally. And people just went, "Oh, well, this ruins it for me." And I think, to me, it just makes it more impactful in the original trilogy. Right. We see why the Jedi of old were flawed and you know, mis- you know, not really that great. And we can tell they're emotionless. They don't really have much passion. They're kind of boring, and they make stupid mistakes. But I mean, they're also being goaded by the Sith the whole time. Mm-hmm. And when they're wiped out, it's almost it's sad because you know they realize they're people too. But I mean, they did kind of walk into this trap almost willingly. They do and take little, what, they do take little kids away from their parents. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean that's why with another reason when Return of the Jedi got you know it got more impactful for me because you see that Luke's not making those mistakes. I mean his masters kind of realized there were mistakes made, but they they're still set in their old ways and they want Luke to kill his father because mm-hmm. they realize you have to destroy the Sith and there's no other way around it but I mean Luke feels like you know he doesn't have that doesn't have to be the way and I would hope in the future that Luke applied that 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 lesson to you know his idea of what the Jedi order should be right well, we'll get to that in a, in a little bit um, yeah I can't wait actually to hear what you have to say <laughs> about that but what I want to what was your prequel kind of roller coaster 
if any. Oh, let's, well, let's see. Obviously, I was super hyped for episode one ever since I saw that battle droid on Stap action figure that was being sold in Walmart's as a pre-release toy. Yeah. I wanted that so bad, but I didn't get it. Probably in retrospect, I'm glad I did it since I grew out of action figures pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, I was I was totally on board with episode one. I mean, I have so much still in my home, like pre-release, like advertisements and merchandise and newspaper articles about that time period. That's that cool. It's, That's really. I, cool. I, I, I could, if I was into it, I could probably make a scrapbook out of that all, and it'd be really great. So I mean, I was stoked. I remember seeing it. I remember standing. I remember standing in line to see it. Uh, to get a seat in our little local theater and mm-hmm. this line snaking through the the, the, the uh, foyer area and I was just so hyped uh, and seeing it I mean it was it was to me in a word amazing I mean they were still I feel like I was still of a certain age that certain things just kind of I didn't if, if I didn't understand it I just kind of ignored it and just like immediately locked on to the next interesting thing that happened which right. Phantom Menace is, does pretty well I mean the beginning kicks off with what seems like you know, kind of a bore. What's going to be a boring discussion, but it escalates into a giant Jedi ambush that leads mm-hmm. you running into Naboo. So it hooked me pretty well. Um, the pod race, I loved that. I think pod racing was the thing I latched onto the most. I bought the the, the PC version of Star Wars Episode One Racer and played that to death. Dude, played I had the N sixty four man. It's still, I still think that's one of the best racing games I've ever played in my life. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, I I tr- spent so many hours on that game, and that was probably the most. La- I bought the micro machines and collected all the pod racer oh, micro machines. Yeah. I mean, I was all about pod racing. Um, almost kind of ignored the other aspects of the film, like the return of the Sith and, you know, the Jedi thing. I was all about pod racing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I even bought the Lego set of the pod race. There was like a pod, there was a huge Lego set I wanted so bad for my birthday next that, that year. And it was uh, the uh, the three, it was like Sebulba, Anakin, and like Gascano's pod racers, plus a bunch Gascano. of other characters. So I was like, I had to have that and I got it. And I was like the happiest kid on earth. That's but it was there was a point, I guess, I, it was early 2001, where I just kind of had, like, burnout in episode one. I was so obsessed with it for almost over a year. Mm-hmm. By the time the VHS came out, I was just like, well, I've seen all I can see. You know, I've raced as much, many times as I can on episode one racer. I've collected all the Lego sets I wanted. I mean, the action figure, I have all of them by now because they've been on clearance since, you know, the fall of 99. <laughs> but... uh <laughs> I was, I mean, I was literally burned out. Like, I was ready for episode two, which was good because around that time in 2001 uh, was when I first released, started releasing all those, like, web docs. I don't know if you remember those, but I mean, oh, they were, yeah. those they, released, awesome. they released pretty regularly, like, episodes on StarWars.com of, like, the certain behind the scenes of certain things. Like, the make, I remember clearly the first one I saw was how they made and designed Obi-Wan's Jedi Starfighter. And I was like, a Jedi Starfighter? Holy crap! This is gonna be cool. Yeah, like, I mean, right. you put the words Jedi and Starfighter, and I was like, gotta have it. Um, Which was another cool game. Did you ever play Jedi Starfighter? I have it. I have it for PlayStation Two. I played that to Dude, no end in two thousand three. Adi Galia, man, she was yeah. The shit. Adi, she she was the boss, man. I was, I was playing her, playing with her. It was great. Like just flying around, shooting lightning bolts from your Starfighter, creating bubble. Oh my god, I could go on for ages about Star the Starfighter series. But yeah, I was I was totally prepared for episode two. I think I was more still. I prepared that 
I prepared for that myself more than my parents prepared me for episode one. Because mm-hmm. back in those days, they were the ones that cutting out the magazine articles and the newspaper yeah. articles and feeding me this news because I wasn't really familiar with using the internet or computers yet. Right. But, you know, by the time I was 12, I was like, I was doing it all myself. I was downloading the trailers. I was, <laughs> I even managed to convince, I even managed to subtly convince my family to allow us to see Monsters, Inc. while we were on a little trip to a little shopping trip so I could see the Attack of the Clones trailer before the film began. And Dude, I, it was like, I felt so crafty for doing that at that age. <laughs> was I was like, that, they didn't even know. Was that the teaser trailer with like, do you remember, I remember seeing yeah, the first it was the, it was with, the Darth, it was the breathing trailer. Oh you just hear Darth God. Vader breathing. And I was, I mean, it, it put me in the overdrive. I was like, look, it's Boba Fett's ancestor. I didn't, didn't know who Jango Fett was going to be. Look. It's like Anakin. He's like all grown up and like, oh my god, he's fighting some mysterious red lightsaber wielding dude. Who is it? Who could it be? And I remember buying a copy of Star Wars Insider. It had a big picture of Obi Wan on the cover. I'm like, holy crap, he's got a beard and and he's got long hair. He's old. And you know, the first time I ever saw a picture of Count Dooku was in that magazine. I was like, who's this old fogey? <laughs> and it was like, it was, I mean that. Episode the build of episode two was he I was at this point I was kind of becoming a little bit more proficient in drawing so I was like scribbling Star Wars all over all my stuff. That's great. I was even I was even anticipating episode three. My anticipation for episode two was so high. There's definitely somewhere in my collection a little picture I did of a kind of partially built Darth Vader and I wrote in the caption beside it, Star Wars episode three twenty two thousand five and I was like oh my god I was obsessed. <laughs> I mean, I, and it was a good time too because I was, you know, I was twelve. I was in middle school. Um, I, I started. People noticed that I was into Star Wars, and some of these people became my friends as a result. And some of them I still talk to today. Not always about Star Wars, but I mean, you know, that's how we initially bonded mm-hmm. over you know, stuff like that. So it was kind of like a social event too for me too, because now my I wasn't just liking Star Wars as a kid. I was liking Star Wars in like a social space, and it was kind of acceptable. I mean, it wasn't. Since it was kind of in vogue, you know, at the time, everyone of my age was at least interested in it if they weren't outright fans. So I was more than happy to shine, show my Star Wars colors that age. That's really cool. That I think it's cool that you, like, see, for me, when, it, when Episode 2 came out, I was in sixth grade, so it was in vogue there. But when Episode 3 came out, I was a freshman in high school where that was kind of the time where everyone was like, I'm not a geek. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, girls. same here. I was I was in the middle of it. Yeah, middle of high school, and I mean, I was focused on getting a car, you know. So I go out and you know start cruising around and hanging out with my friends and dating girls. But I, don't know, I still felt I felt, although the buildup wasn't as great, and I think that partially was by the time episode three came out, I'd given up collecting action figures. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't too impressed with things anymore, like the Lego sets and all that stuff. So I definitely felt like I was getting older. But, I mean, I knew that the stakes in this film would be higher. I mean, little things intrigued me more, like the fact that it was going to be PG-13. I definitely saw a leaked photo of Anakin's charred corpse somewhere. It was a, it was a hideous photo. Yeah. It was like a full-body shot of, like, Hayden Christensen or a stunt double or someone standing with all that makeup applied to look like they were burnt toast. And I was <laughs> like, dang, this is serious. Like, this, I feel like this is, you know, this movie series is growing with me. Like, I'm of an older, more mature mentality. Yeah. I'm ready for an older, more mature Star Wars film, and I don't think it disappointed. I also remember that was the first time where I actually came into conflict with my fellow fans, because um, I desperately was trying to get into the midnight showing of Episode Three. Mm. I could do it because, luck coincidentally enough, my school 
had two days set aside in May as bad weather days that would be otherwise holidays if there wasn't any bad weather to cause us to miss school. So that didn't happen. So the day of episode three premiere, I had no school. So That's I could awesome. totally go see the. I I got I left school. So I drive. I had to drive. I, I my parents picked me and my sister up, and they dropped me off at the theater. And I stood in. There was already a line to buy tickets. And I remember waiting in line. I was like, I told my sister, "Don't calm down, sis. I know you're not too stoked about this, but uh, <laughs> this is this is this is worth it. And we're gonna get our tickets." And I remember looking up the line and seeing a guy I knew from high school, just and who was also a super big geek. I mean, he he was probably one of the geekiest people in my school. He was walking away from the ticket counter with a wad of tickets, like non all perforated, but still stuck in like their rolls. Yeah. And he was pretty much bragging to everyone. I just bought all these tickets for me and my friends. We're going to see this midnight showing. As he walks away, you know, a few more people buy tickets after him. And he's still talking to others in line. But the box office closes and they say, oh, sorry, we've sold out of the midnight tickets. You can start buying tickets now for the showings on the following day. And I was so pissed. Wow. I mean, I looked at that guy like I was, I thought we were friends, man. We bonded over Star Wars together. And you had to go <laughs> pull this crap. Oh, I, I still haven't talked to that guy ever since. No I mean, way, some, really? Some grudges do not get forgiven. And I, I think I even told my other friend that uh, lives here in Houston. We were talking about our preparations for the film. And I was reminiscing, like, yeah, man, I remember that guy, Dirk Gage. That fool didn't even, you know, thought think to consider there were other people in this line that wanted to go see this film at midnight. He just bought them all up for him and his buddies. Dude, that sucks, man. Screwed over the rest of us. So, yeah, if he's out there listening... Still pissed at you, Dirk. That's, you know, whatever. It's like that guy. Did you hear about this guy who bought he bought all the tickets in a movie theater for The Force Awakens so he could see it alone? I saw a photograph of that. And I thought it was just some photo, photoshopped, you know, like in, like no, viral image meme that gets real. passed around. He actually bought and spent $2,000 worth on tickets so he could see it alone. Yeah, that's some bowl, dude. Like, that, <laughs> like part of my, like my favorite memories of episode two and three are like, being in a packed theater with people who are all seeing it for the first time and those words oh, yeah. come across the screen you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far, far away and then bam. Like Honestly, one of my, my favorite moments ever in a movie theater was I think we all heard that Yoda was going to fight in episode two. I, th- I think I remember that Someone being. tried to spoil that for me. I remember going before going to see it, someone said, like, oh yeah, Yoda fights this old Sith Lord dude and I was like, not listening, but I mean, I heard it. <laughs> I, so think- I didn't know what I didn't really know what that meant. I mean, I, it was one thing to hear someone tell it to me. Yeah. Uh, to see it on screen. I, I clapped and cheered just like everyone else in that theater when he drew that lightsaber. I'm like, oh, crap. Well, I think that we all – I think there was some buzz on the internet because the fact that Yoda was CGI. People were saying that that's because he's going to fight. And I, I just remember seeing – you know that shot in episode two where, you know, Dooku's going to do the deed to Anakin and Obi-Wan. He's got them down on the ground. And – there's a shadow, like a slow crawling, crawling shadow coming from the other side. And we all knew it was Yoda and everyone yeah. started cheering. That was so cool, dude. Like that was, that was definitely a great, that's a favorite moment. Remembering how everyone just went out and cheered when Yoda, I remember even episode one, people cheering during the opening crawl too. I remember that distinctly. And I was like, I felt like carried by it too. Cause I was still a new star Wars fan at that point. Even at, by May of 19, I knew I'd only, I was a, not a virgin, but I was still yeah. a, I was still, you know, a neophyte to all this. So it really right. like I felt like I was part of something and it made me want to get up and cheer too. I was like, yes, yes, I'm with this. I'm ready. Episode one. 
six let's here's the six years of star wars films on the way oh that's great um so you obviously loved episode two as you said that was like one of your favorites and episode three was you know you have the same i mean i i recognize its flaws now but i'm still unabashedly a lover of episode two i mean it's the one star wars poster i brought with me to my new apartment and it hangs proudly over my bed and full glory seeing natalie portman and and hayden christensen looking over me Dude, I love the Geonosian fight. I love the fight between... Honestly, the fight between Obi-Wan and Jango on Kamino is so awesome. I yeah, love that, that shit. The fight scenes are, I think, all pretty wicked in Attack of yeah. the Clones. Also, that was, that yeah. DVD got a lot of replay because that was the first Star Wars DVD I bought too when it came out that fall mm-hmm. in 2002. And I, I played the heck out of that. I was always going, cutting to the fight scenes. And like, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think aside from, honestly, the first original trilogy, I think episode two is my most watched, probably because of that time period. I would just, like, watch it every day. But also, you know, episode three is the latest, so I haven't wa- I don't think I've watched that as much. You know, like you say, you grow older. You don't, you can't geek out as much as you used to when you were a kid. But um, which one, when you look back on it, which one of the prequels is your was your favorite, and now which one is? You know, the same kind of question. Uh, well... Definitely Attack of the Clones was my favorite. Uh, I think Revenge of the Sith is now my favorite now, just in retrospect. But I still I still love Attack of the Clones. Like, it's it's not really going anywhere. It's not like I think it's a lesser film all of a yeah. sudden. But I, I it's hard to watch it now without skipping its flaws. That said, it is the only film of the six that I currently have on Blu-ray because... I made a gross oversight. Well, not a gross oversight, but at the time, my family still had a full screen TV when I bought the DVD. Oh, I did the same thing. Yep. Yeah, and but we we got a widescreen in time by the time Episode Three came out, mm-hmm. and uh, so all my subsequent DVD releases, including the episode, the original trilogy, were widescreen DVDs, but not Episode Two. Dude, literally the I had same. To, I had to I, remedy that. <laughs> dude, I had the same issue. I I've always hated that. Before the Blu-rays came out, the like you said, I had a widescreen version of Episode Two, and it just it looks like crap. <laughs> yeah, like I, I can't. Or not widescreen. Sorry, full screen. Like yeah, the, you had a full. I can't watch it on my TV. No TV is full screen anymore. Right, right. <laughs> I, I guess got I got I got to update with the times. So I figured, well, I'll just buy this Attack. So it comes in this nice little steel book. I'll buy this Attack of the Clones Blu-ray to, you know, it'll be cool to see it in crisp high definition. Mm-hmm. I think for me, uh, Revenge of the Sith was probably my favorite. Um, but honestly, man, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but when I look back on them now, I honestly think that episode one is the best movie. And I know, really? I know no one really agrees with me on that, but <laughs> I think uh, for a few reasons. It's got the best score of, the, of any of the three, I think. Um, I think the music in that movie is crazy. I think Darth Maul is amazing. And I think that's not, you know, it's hard to overlook how cool that was. I think the pod racing scene is amazing. And I think Qui-Gon Jinn is one of the most interesting characters of all six films. And I love watching all of his scenes. Not to mention, it's the only one of those three films shot on film, which it's not a huge deal to me, but it's kind of cool. I don't know. It's cool looking back that that was shot in film. Yeah, I'm even cognizant of the fact that episode one looks looks different from the other two yeah. because and it's because it was shot on film and it looks kind of more like it fits in the 
I right. guess the tone, the visual tone of episodes four, five, and six because right. it was shot on film like them. I mean, Andrew wrote in that, you know, th- then and now three is his favorite because of the Obi-Wan Anakin duel, all the Sidious stuff and, you know, Order 66, obviously. And I, I do, I'm, I'm into all of that, but I think that, I don't know, man. Episode one is just, it's so different than all six films that it stands out. And I know for most people it stands out in a bad way. But for me, it's just, I don't know, it's still just the most interesting to watch. And I think because it was the first Star Wars movie in 16 years, that it's just a fascinating moment in cinema when that movie came out. And I like watching it, trying to imagine what it would have been like if I was an adult and had seen it, for good or yeah. for better or worse. I don't know. I, I just enjoy watching that movie the most nowadays, I think. I, I will say my appreciation episode one has gone up. Like I like I mentioned, uh, after, once Attack of the Clones came out, I pushed episode one to the dustbin of oh I like this because I was a kid kind of yeah. thing, and I mm. I respected it, but I wasn't it wasn't on any replay list for a long time. I think it wasn't and it wasn't until I bought I bought episode three on DVD in a two pack they had special at Walmart with uh, episode one. There were some came with episode two, some came with episode one. I just bought the one that came with episode one, so I didn't have that. And I think after, you know, a few watch, a few, you know, limited but, you know, sporadic watches, rewatching of episode one at that point led me to at least appreciate it more for what it did. Yeah. Especially since at that point I had the other two prequel films to give it context. Right. And I was like, then I was like, okay, I can, I can enjoy this film even now that I'm like 16 and, you know, I saw it when I was 10 and I'm not the same guy, but, you know, I, I still like it, you know. I'm not going to go off and say, me's a love, Jar Jar, or anything, but I mean, well, I, I he guess, is what he is. <laughs> I guess that's a question I, I, we haven't even, like, we haven't even touched. I mean, what do you make of Mr. Binks there? The the Gungan in the room. This little, yeah, the, the big Gungan in the, <laughs> the room, Gungan. who's not Boss Nass, and we don't mean big in the literal <laughs> sense. Um, and this will this will provide us a segue as well, but, you know, it's been 16 years since that movie came out. I mean, where do you, where do you stand with the... Uh, the most divisive character in probably cinema ever. I'm not even kidding. I think that's true. But what do you think of him? The divisive character in cinema ever. I mean, uh, can you think of some of a character? Who, well, besides racist characters. Like <laughs> I was just like, I don't think I, I think I can think of racist characters, but I mean, well, some people yeah. even claim that for Jar Jar, but I think that's yeah, yeah. But, Maybe because I was too young, I didn't really see the racist I, overtones. I, st- I still don't. I think if you, I'm sorry, I, I'll say this: if you if you watch Jar Jar Binks. And you think that that is somehow resembling of a race on this planet? Then that makes you a racist because <laughs> I I felt that way about like people always tried to levy that the Nemodians were yeah. Asian caricatures. I'm like really? That just really means... you're really reaching now. Well, yeah, and to me that just means that's how you see Asian people. If that's like. <laughs> That's not what my Asian friends are like. You know what I mean? Like that's just my not Asian what... friends don't talk with this long stutter of right. like you did not tell Lord Sidious <laughs> we were going to kill the Jedi. I mean, that's not what Asian people I know sound like. That's but... just Nemodians to me. Yeah, but... Nemodians, and it's, I think it's also because because that that weird that's guys in a suit, so they're having to deal with that animatronic head that yeah. the, the lips only move so fast. You can't have them speaking in a relatively quick cadence. They have to kind of talk like they're enunciating and stuttering almost every other word yeah so, that, I mean, that was why but, i think they did it like that yeah. otherwise the vocals wouldn't match the movement and you'd be like huh so, <laughs> that's that kind of jive that's why i never i never got that stereotype the jar jar binks one 
Uh, I can kind of see, maybe because it was kind of visible at the time. They were, you know, Ahmed Best. You know, yeah. they were, he was like the next big star. And I do feel like it's bad that he never got as much credit for, you know, kind of pioneering motion capture technology Absolutely. for a like, CGI character. But Absolutely. Andy Serkis did, you know, got like all these acclaim. I mean, to be fair, though, Andy Serkis has never yet to be, you know, really accoladed for his motion capture work, even after what 15 years since well, the first Lord of the Rings film well, so maybe it was maybe it's a lost cause but I still think someone should have at least recognized Mr. Best there for what he tried to achieve you know as a character for Lucas dude absolutely I mean no one wants to say this sentence but you don't have Gollum without Jar Jar no one wants to admit that but that's <laughs> that's absolute- a bold that's a that's a bold claim almost as bold as me talking about how I have no prequel angst <laughs> Dude, look, it's true, man. If you look at, if you watch the 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 beginning documentary, which is the behind the scenes documentary about how Episode One was made, the, John Knoll and the special, the visual effects teams at ILM literally were like, "We can't do this. Like, this doesn't exist yet. Like, none of this technology. You can't do it. You sure can't do it for a whole two hour movie with with a, with, a, with a main character." And I know that. Obviously, the performance of, of the characters in The Lord of the Rings, you don't, you know, obviously you can't attribute that to Jar Jar. But the fact that in 1999, there was a main character of a blockbuster film that was completely CGI paved the way for all the ones that are good now and that we like. That's my argument. Yeah. And, I mean, I think my only frustrations with Jar Jar aren't really about him and his role in the film, but more so kind of like the background leading up to it. And that's not even a frustration. It's just kind of like it's kind of like some retrospective laughter. Like I see all those clips and stuff, like you said, from the beginning documentary and other mm-hmm. things that George Lucas has said in the past regarding the character. It's almost laughable. Like, what was he thinking? Like the whole <laughs> the quote that gets bandied all the time is like Jar Jar is the key to all this. Yeah, we can I get know, Jar Jar, Jar the work. We we can make the whole movie work. And you just see in that scene all the people kind of looking at each other like is he serious <laughs> and like you just can't help but laugh like oh my gosh why aren't any of you guys saying anything at least then? well are we just sitting here and accept that jar jar is the key of all this well like, can that's I, poor word choice mr luke poor word choice can i suggest to you that he was right yeah that kind of... that jar jar didn't work and thus the whole movie doesn't really work i mean if you take jar jar out of that movie you know, which people have tried to do. Which people have tried to do. Fan, fan right, edits. Right. But if you take Jar Jar out of that movie, I think you have a lot of less people complaining about it when it was released. And I think that maybe it worked from a visual effects standpoint, but it didn't work from a thematic and performance standpoint. And I guess he was right. I mean, I think he got to a point where there was no going back, but he was right. And and you're and you're right in saying that no one said anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can see it in their faces. Like, I thought it was people, you know, people always say every Lucas was surrounded by yes men that didn't do anything. But you watch that dog, and you look carefully at the people that aren't George Lucas in the room, and some of them clearly look, you know, anxious. Like, they want to say something, but they don't. Well, and you don't know if that's just editing on the documentary's part, or, you know, where everyone just kind of just like, oh, God, it's George Lucas. Right. Who am I to tell him what to put in this movie about? trade negotiations well, and true, chosen though. I mean, what do you, who, who's going to tell George Lucas in 1999 that 
yeah, George, I don't think I don't think this idea is going to work. I mean, <laughs> that's the same shit people said in 1976, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I used to be fair. I mean, Lucas had a fair, you know, perspective on this. I mean, people are telling him if people told him that it wasn't going to work, he could come back easily and say, well, that's what 20th Century Fox told me. Right. That's what right. other studios told me. And I shoved it in their faces and I bumped into that and it became the biggest blockbuster of all time. You know, that, that's what it would have come to. So, yeah. I mean, there really was no way out for him. I mean, best for the best, I think, he stuck to his vision and he, he made Jar Jar the way he did, that he made Anakin a kid and not like a 14 or 15-year-old like everyone would have preferred, apparently. Right. You know, so, I, I, I mean... I, yeah, just to touch on that, I think that it, you know, again, this is not what the fans wanted, but I think that it helps the soap opera story of it all, the fact that I think there's a little bit of personal story there too that Anakin has to be given this responsibility at a way too young age because he can't handle it whereas you know later on Obi-Wan goes let's wait a little bit on Luke <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's not tell him he's the chosen one when he's eight because that's probably a bad idea <laughs> yeah even then even then Yoda tells him that he's too old too, to begin the old. training at right. the age of 22 I mean come on how I'm like come on, if you're too young you're too, too old, old right what is it yeah so, I don't know. I think to, to wrap things up on the prequels, well, no. Because this is really what, what I meant, what I really want to ask, which is this is no secret. I mean, part of the marketing strategy of The Force Awakens, this, this, this uh, movie that's coming out next week, has been to distance itself from episodes one, two, and three. To say, you know, you see it in the behind the scenes things where people are just basically mocking George Lucas and saying, these are all practical sets and these are all like the original stuff and the original characters like, and the original shit. Everything's, ch everything's changed, but yet nothing's changed. It's like which, <laughs> Mark which, Hamill's work. Right, 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 right. Which, let me say, is a bunch of horse shit. I mean, it, it is a bunch of horse shit. There's I mean, so listen much. Listen up, people. This whole lie, this whole thing about this being practical effects. Right. Guess what? Episodes one, two, and three were loaded with practical effects. Hell, episode one probably had more practical. Will have more had more practical effects in it than probably episode seven will actually end up having. I agree with you hundred percent. I think that's spot. look it up, people. Oh, yeah. look up she look it up, sheeple. It's on the internet. The <laughs> pictures that show that like all those green screen silications you thought right. are actually real sets that those right. actors were on. I mean, come on. I mean, it's like, it's, it's just a matter. People would like to believe that because, you know, they didn't like the film. So they assume, oh, it's because it was all CGI. You know, no one was on actually on the set. So, that's crap. Lies. It's, it's a, there's a lot of misinformation, and Disney's not going to do anything to change that because they want the attention to be on The Force Awakens. They want the attention to be on the moneymaker here. So, I mean, they're not going to go out of their way and say, hey, you know, check out this uh, nice documentary on the actual stuff that went on during right, the making right. of episode one. Well, I gotta say, I gotta give props to JJ and Disney for actually creating a, a an aerodynamic uh, X-wing and flying it through a a mountain that they built, and uh, with a bunch of other real Tie fighters that they built that can also fly. <laughs> I mean, if you look <laughs> yeah. at the, I mean, it was just saying. hyper hyperdrive technology. I didn't think we give live to see that in our <laughs> lifetime, but apparently JJ can do it. He's given us that and real working lightsaber. No, I mean, actually chop off your hand. Right. I mean, like, Has anyone seen if any of the actors from this film are missing, missing appendages lately? <laughs> <laughs> Might be a key plot giveaway. So, I mean, 
they're 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 trying to be like this isn't the prequels, guys. This isn't the prequels. Yeah, I saw Kathy Kennedy, president of Lucasfilm, on a, uh, a press conference the other day. She was asked, "What's not in the film?" And she goes, "Well, Jar like she does not miss a beat." She goes, "Well, Jar Jar certainly isn't." And <laughs> I mean, f- fuck, dude, that is like, I mean, they are really. Th- th- I don't know, man. I, this is going to be a great movie, and I believe it, but I do not like the fact that um, they're just kind of dismissing the prequels. It's what it seems like. Now, I will say I'm glad that the Sith are not the bad guys in this film, apparently. But I would yeah, be. Yeah, I'm I, but I, glad about that. But I would be upset if they're not mentioned in the next three films. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well. That's that is that's I'm, I actually hadn't thought about that, but I'm glad you brought it up because it would make me upset. But there are some things that if they're not mentioned in this film would make me way more upset. Like what? Than that. You mean from the prequels? Uh, well, maybe more. Uh, no, I guess not. More from like the other films. Okay. I don't know if you want to touch upon that yet, but. Well, I guess I just, is there anything from the prequels that you want to see kind of? Because we've also heard midi-chlorians aren't going to be mentioned, which is, I mean, I'm fine with that. But is there anything from the prequels, I guess? I guess I want to ask, does this bother you at all that they're kind of prequel bashing? You know, yeah, like, I mean, it, yeah, it totally it totally kind of bothers me. It irks me. But I feel like I kind of like the film having not been released yet. I also kind of want to so we'll wait and hold back on my righteous anger if the film comes out and it actually does, you know, feel like it's part of a movie universe where there's six films and not three you that, know maybe yeah. that's telling me hopefully the mark it's just marketing and that once i see the film it all click and they're like oh this i mean they they said they talked the big talk but in the end the movie what we got you know pays homage to all six films not just you know four five and six you know um, and then after if it takes its own course and that's fine because you know the focus will be on the saga i mean I guess alternatively, let's play. We can play devil's advocate here. Like, why didn't in the build-up to episode one, why wasn't there more uh, focus on talking about the original trilogy? I mean, they're important, right? Well, I'll I'll tell you. I've always thought it was weird in the original trilogy that um, Naboo wasn't Alderaan. I I thought that that would have made a lot of that would have connected them right away. You know what I mean? I I guess. Yeah, it would, it would also tie the whole Padme and yeah. uh, Senator. Organa, you know, connection a bit more. Like if maybe they were like royalty from Alderaan together, but they weren't related and they right. kind of knew each other. Her career, like Padme was a young, like, you know, aspiring protege of Bales and, you know, he watched all this happen to her. So that's something how he would know Anakin very well, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you Instead, also, it's just kind of. Also, the destruction of Alderaan would be 10,000 times more dramatic. I oh, guess yeah. I guess to the to the people that don't like Jar Jar, they'd probably be glad about it because there's no more Gungans. But um. yeah, <laughs> wow, we're just, we're just killing two. Maybe maybe they should ask us to you know do a fan edit of the previous yeah, and just replace every word that every time Naboo is said replace with Alderaan. <laughs> Begin landing your troops on Alderaan. <laughs> um, we must make. We must get to the. We must get to the Alderaan. Like, we will give you. He's a given users a bongo. The speediest way to the Alderaan is through the planet core. Um, like, I guess wow, you're... Alderaan is planet core. <laughs> I guess you're right that you know there's not too much OT 
stuff brought up in episode one, you know, I guess. Well, kind of. I mean, three people well, are two. I mean, I will grant it would it would be tricky since it takes it's place a generation before. before. So, But I also think you're wise in that, you know, you, we should – I think we both agree we're upset that it's being marketed that way, but let's let's hold off until we see the movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, let's. I'll give Disney a little bit more benefit of the doubt before I feel like in you know, that they're just slagging all the stuff they don't feel like is really what they want Star Wars to be versus what everyone expects and knows Star Wars already is. And right. I'll give them some more time on that because you know, really, I mean, to be honest, they haven't done a whole lot with the franchise yet. I mean, it was only in this last year and a half or so they really ramped up things with releasing Rebels and the books and the comics from Marvel now. So we've only really gotten a, just a small taste. This film is going to open the floodgates, and we're going to really see Disney's true colors with how they manage Lucasfilm and the future films that come from it. Right. Um, well, let's talk about that really quick. Um what you talk about Star Wars Rebels, which is really the first, you know, TV or movie thing to come from Disney. Um, it it really does build off a show that Disney canceled right when they got right when they bought Lucasfilm, which is the Clone Wars um, TV show that was on for five seasons between 2008 and 2013. Um, did you watch the Clone Wars like weekly when it was out? Uh, so uh, I remember. This was when I was in college, and you and I actually conversed quite frequently about various episodes and stuff, but uh, I actually didn't watch it all too frequently. Uh, I definitely, when I could, because I didn't have cable at the time. Well, my roommates did, but they were usually hogging the TV for other reasons, so I normally didn't get to always see it. I wasn't always up to date, but I tried to keep up because I wanted to give it a chance, and I heard it, it, it had improved a lot from the first season by the time the second season rolled around and the yeah. third season is Absolutely. Um, I honestly don't really feel like it hit its stride until the fourth season when they had those four episodes on the about uh, the General Jedi Krill. General Pong Krell. That though, so here my whole beef with the Clone Wars TV show was I felt like I mean as nice as having new characters like Ahsoka and Captain Rex were, I felt like pretty much everything else it had already been done before and in many cases better when the original clone wars multimedia project was launched between 2002 and 2005 mm-hmm. i i really felt it was a big slap in the face to all the thing those guys did you know because i mean they made a really good fleshed out story that was sanctioned by lucasfilm it was in comics it was in books and even some of it you know could was even inadvertently referenced in revenge of the sith like that whole business on kato nimodia that mm-hmm. obi-wan just hand waves that was talked about in the original Star Wars, uh, Clone Wars comics and stuff. Right. So they just kind of like throw it out and say, well, here's this new Clone Wars, you know, long after Attack of the Clones came out. So we're just kind of throwing it at you. I always kind of felt chagrined that, I mean, like, why are we doing this? We did Revenge of the Sith. We should move into that, you know, that long period of time between episodes three and four when, you know, we don't know exactly what was going on, how the Empire rose to power and how the Jedi were wiped out and how the rebellion was formed. Right. That, so that that kind of angst little dissipated a lot when I saw those Carnage of Krell episodes because it was like those episodes were like a kind of story that I would have expected to see during that original Clone Wars run. You know, regardless of the outside continuity, those episodes, if you recall, were kind of self-contained. Like you could watch them by oh, themselves absolutely. without really knowing everything else, like uh, the fact that a, Anakin had a Padawan, that you know that all this stuff was going on elsewhere in the galaxy just except it was another massive battle during the clone wars for this planet umbara mm-hmm. it definitely was not touched on in any of the other comics or anything pong krell was a whole new character 
uh, and you focus really on the clones, which is always cool. I always thought it was nice whenever they focused on them and their perspectives and their changing perspectives on the war. Yeah, and it was it was it was definitely it was definitely it was definitely a, a darker subject matter because I, mean, I think it was the first time in the show they showed that concept that the Jedi are being compromised by the war ethically and right. by the, with their connection to the Force. Like you can easily see, Pong Krell was being one of those Jedi masters that you know was a bit, always a, probably a little bit more aggressive and militant than his Jedi brothers and sisters. But I mean, by the time the the wars happen, it just exacerbates everything. I mean, the Jedi aren't soldiers, but yet they're thrust into leading a war. You know, effort. They're made generals and stuff. That's pretty much in the opposite of what a Jedi is. They're not supposed to be, you know, leading charges and flanking right. armies and you know, leading full-scale sieges. And apparently, I mean, I always thought and assumed, and it was kind of validated by those earlier stories that some Jedi they gave into it and they fell to the dark side and they joined Dooku or they went on their out on their own. They, you know, I assumed there were some that just wouldn't, you know, fall by the wayside. Right. And Pong Krell was like the perfect encapsulation of that without having to discard any old continuity. I mean, it was all self-contained. It was a great story. I loved it. And I've, I kind of that kind of kept my interest again, thankfully, until the end of the fifth season, which I think that was the last season, was it not? The last officially aired season? Yeah, it was. And then there was the sixth season that was released on Netflix afterwards, yeah. Right, yeah. And the fifth, I'm glad it did because then the fifth season was important to watch because, we you know, it, it also put another plot point that actually the original run of the Clone Wars didn't really explain, which is why in Revenge of the Sith, Anakin is so dead set on being a mass named a master and put yeah, on the council. Right. When even even when Revenge of the Sith came out, I was kinda of aware you can't become a mass you can't become a master without having trained a Padawan. And mm-hmm. it didn't make a whole lot of sense why Anakin got this entitlement. Because I knew he was you know, he was such a hot shot, powerful pilot and warrior, but that doesn't make you a master. Right. So now, then the Clone Wars really, you know, added the heft to that by saying he had a Padawan, and she left the Order. So Anakin technically now is viewed as like a failure, of sort, or he perceives himself as a failure. And yeah. because he's Anakin, it's driving a wedge between him and what caused him to, or what caused Ahsoka to leave, and that was the Jedi Council. You know, it's this wedge that it's building between him and that rift that's building between him and Yoda and Mace Windu, which you know he doesn't trust them. He doesn't believe they they you know, acquiesce that he is really who he really thinks he is in his head is this super powerful ultimate fighter guy. Well, and it, it makes sense. Like it, it was a perfect lead in like, okay, now I appreciate the clone wars for what it was. It explains a little bit of why Anakin is the way he is in revenge of the Sith way better than probably even the original clone wars series did. Yeah, I agree. Or the prequels. <laughs> yeah. Mean, or, or the prequels. I mean, that's the whole thing of the, this, the clone wars, both projects, the TV show that came uh, uh, in the last few years, yeah. and the one that did Jendi did really fleshed out a lot of you know the motivations and like the even the personalities. I don't think I would have cried like I admitted I did during the Order sixty six if I hadn't seen Jendi's you know Clone Wars ca- cartoons or even seen some read some of the comic stories because now now I knew those guys had stories that I'd followed for years. Right. Um. No, I mean it's I. I... Well, first of all, Andrew says his whole thing about the Clone Wars was he says, who in the unholy F let Anakin have an apprentice? The man was barely under control with Obi-Wan as his master. Um, You know, some of that's hilarious and true. And I get that people were kind of pissed when Ahsoka was named like Anakin's. Oh, Anakin had a Padawan in between episode two and three. But 
And I, I was one of those that was kind of like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it was it definitely, yeah, I was one of those too. I was definitely suspicious. Like, wait, how can, what kind of retconning is this? You just throw in a Padawan he had? I mean, there's only three years between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Right. Not a whole lot of time. And there was a lot of even other fans were speculating, well, maybe George Lucas is going to rewrite the, you know, the timeline so that the Clone Wars last like five years instead of three, which never came to pass. And that would have made a whole lot more mess than it was worth. But uh, well, yeah, I, it, yeah, it was it was definitely offsetting, you know, like he's and she's a 14 year old girl that's like apparently very well skilled for a mm-hmm. Jedi Padawan. Right. You know, I mean, it was someone a bit more on the newbie side of things. She could be forgiven. But at the time, it's just like, oh, God, why is this got to be so great? Yeah. clearly for the kids. It was. But it really turned differently. And like you say, I mean, it, it, the show really hit its stride in the fourth and fifth season. And I. I don't know, man. It was weird. I like, you know, I was in college too when that show was on, and I just graduated when it when it finished. I'm not gonna lie, dude. I have not cried watching a show <laughs> as hard as I ever, maybe, but as hard as I did, I could. I did not expect spoilers. This is huge spoilers for the end of episode or the end of the ser- fifth series or f- fifth season of the Clone Wars TV show. And if you haven't seen it, you should definitely see it because that actually it. is yeah. really good. Yeah, turn it off, go watch. Um, I, I'm telling you, man, I did not expect for Ahsoka to willingly leave the Jedi Order like that. And I thought it was extremely depressing <laughs> to be like, yeah. she feels so wronged that, you know, she's leaving. And you talk about all these people that were changed in the war and left to go join Dooku and stuff like that. Or, or, or they were General Krell and just went insane. Whereas you just have Ahsoka here who is just like, she realizes that the Jedi are kind of going crazy, but she's not, or they're, you know, they're being changed and from what they're not supposed to be. But she doesn't, you know, go off to fight them. She just is like, I'm done with this. This is not what I signed up for. And that really, like, I don't know, it hurt me in a way. It was like, damn. Because, you know, it, it, like you say, the reason it also kind of hit me emotionally was like, it makes episode three and, and Anakin's frustrations even more um, powerful because how much of a failure does Anakin feel like at the beginning of episode three? Yeah, um, it's another thing that he he couldn't prevent. Like right, he couldn't right. save Padme, he couldn't save his mom, he couldn't keep he couldn't train Ahsoka to be a Jedi Knight. I mean, it's a lot of stuff that you know is now built up in him at this stage. And if people that say now, well, why isn't she mentioned in Revenge of the Sith? Well, shoot, now that I've seen how it ends, you know. I wouldn't mention that. It would be like the thing I'd keep to myself that I had someone that I cared about and I was training as a protege and they just quit on me. I wouldn't talk about that at all. It would be right. the biggest shame. Exactly. And it would be interesting to see what would happen if they did ever cross paths again, Anakin and Ahsoka. In, and, indeed it would. And uh, when it was when the Clone Wars was canceled almost immediately – Disney and they got the group back together Dave Filoni and all those people that made the show and they said we're going to do a show between 3 and 4 called Star Wars Rebels and um, they're doing it and it came out in the fall of 2013 is that right? No 2014 uh, No it was last year. It was yeah, last so year. fall 2014 it's on its second season now and they've kind of intertwined these characters back from the Clone Wars into Rebels and it's interesting because it's like for me, it's interesting because I love the Clone Wars. I love Rex. I love Ahsoka. I'm glad to see them back. I love Hondo. Hondo Anaka was like my favorite character from the Clone Wars. I don't know why. <laughs> I love that silly pirate. Um, he was a crazy dude. 
And I just think it's interesting because you have, on one hand, the new Star Wars movie that seems to want to forget the prequel era. But then you have the new Star Wars TV show that seems to embrace the prequel era. And I think it's kind of fascinating. And it kind of, you know, I've I've wrote about this too, but it instilled my faith in Disney a little more that, that that's happening. Um, do, are you watching Rebels? Do you like Rebels? Is it better than Clone oh, Wars? Oh, yeah. When Rebels was announced, I was it was the complete opposite. Like when I found out the Clone Wars announced, I was like giddy with excitement because as I, you might have remembered me just mentioning a little while ago, I was hoping so hard that after Revenge of the Sith came out, we'd get a TV show that takes place in the events after Revenge of the Sith and the, as the Empire solidifies control. And I didn't get that. I got the Clone Wars, but now I was getting it. When they said the Rebels and it was going to take place between episodes three and four, I, I lost it. I was like, yes, finally. The stories in the time period I want to know most about. You know, I wasn't satisfied with just like a few comics or novels that took place at the fringes of that era. I want to know what the Empire was doing, and I want to see it in action. I wanted to see it like on the screen, mm-hmm. and it did not disappoint. Uh, the pilot episode was great. I immediately enjoyed meeting all the characters, particularly Kanan. I, I like the fact they took a theme that had only been seen really in the like the expanded universe comics and books. About like, you know what a Jedi what a Jedi survivor would be like in the right. events af- aftermath of the Clone Wars, and they they really you know did it well with Kanan. Like this is a guy that is you know he's more comfortable using a blaster than he has a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really follow any of the old rules, and he's clearly you know just trying to make it on his own, living a life that doesn't involve anything to do with his previous life as a Jedi Padawan. And uh, that was great. That was something I always wanted to see. Even more so when they when they introduced his main antagonist, which was an Inquisitor, because the Inquisitors are probably some of my favorite like EU character group of characters from the old EU, uh, especially with regards to their role in the Empire and their task as Jedi hunters. So I mean, you mix those two together with you know a really interesting cast of characters and some new locations, some new ships and stuff like and getting to see the Empire at its full height of power. I mean, it was all good to go. I was on board with it from day one. Um, I mean, there was only it only got better once they announced like the return of some characters like Ahsoka and, of course, the inter- the reintroduction of Darth Vader as played by James Earl Jones. And then I knew like this this is the show that I'm going to be following religiously, even as if the Force Awakens is ramping up to premiere. Yeah, I also you know you talk about well. First of all, can we talk about how Kanan and I, I've always if I could get Dave Filoni on the phone. <laughs> Kanan reminds Paging me, Mr. Filoni. Paging Mr. Filoni. Kanan reminds me of two things, I guess, from my Star Wars uh, Jedi Academy past. Now, does he not look like um, the the Jedi trainer in Jedi Academy? You're right. I forgot like little, about like that. Like a little bit, like his face and yeah, his and his ponytail. <laughs> Yeah, the top knot and like the green tunic and kind of like the elongated well, face. Yeah, he actually does kind of look like the trainer in Jedi Academy. Well, and then his clothing looks a little bit like Kyle Katarn. Like he's got that shoulder patch and yeah, like one arm is covered in armor, but yeah. the other one's kind of exposed. Yeah, I don't know if that was Carry, intentional. Carry around a blaster. Well, I don't know what, either, but you mentioned the you know he's like kind of the the makeshift Jedi, you know, he didn't really complete his training and he, he's more comfortable with a blaster than a lightsaber. I mean, again, <laughs> that reminds me of our favorite character from that series, Cal Katarn. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I don't know. 
Um, it is very. I feel like they had to have probably been inspired by him a little bit. I feel like it's probably one of their early brainstorming sessions. They were trying to come up with a look, and someone pulled you know from Wikipedia pictures of various you know like rogues and smugglers, and they someone pulled up Kyle Katarn and like that's what we want. He would probably made the like the final five list of what would make the vision of what Kanan would look like. Right. Um, and then you also you know talk about things you wanted to see like a Jedi like that. I mean, one of the things that I think is just a really cool concept that I wanted to see in Rebels that I never thought I would get, honestly, is, like, where did the clones go <laughs> after yeah. you know, they're kind of, you know, they're useless? And it's really cool, I think, to see Rex and the crew um, as, like, older, washed-up clones that the Empire just wants to keep out of everything. Yeah, it's, I like how the fact they made them, you know, kind of their loyalties ambiguous. Like, clearly the clones, when you free see them again, they're... They're nominally, you know, friendly with the Empire, but they're not outright, you know, they're not outright aware how evil it is and, you know, what it's become. They don't really have any inclination to serve it anymore, partly because they're old. But also I mean, they're, not because... out, they're, not, they're not just like whitewashed good guys. Like, oh, they weren't like gunning to take down the Empire day one it was, of its founding. They're just disgruntled, you know, and they're just mm-hmm. kind of old and they they're finally realize they just don't want to have anything to do with it. And they're also like there's this kind of angst that they have, which is like the stormtroopers suck. <laughs> yeah. They're just, they're real soldiers. They're just, they're just scrubs. Yeah. These guys were bred for war. I love and that. Stormtroopers are just recruits. Yeah. It's like, you know, they have, they got egos, which is, you expect that, you know, it's very cool. And I think, I don't know, star rebels has just been great, man. It's, it's really, really made me comfortable with the idea of Disney owning something because, you know, it's kind of it's 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 eased me into it because we've had two years of well a year a calendar year but we've had two seasons of this show to lead up to the Force Awakens where like Disney is putting up quality stuff every week so it it further builds upon my confidence in them I guess and I I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, I'm uh, very happy with it too. If um, all we have is Rebels, I will be I'll be I'll be great for a while. Yeah, no, absolutely. But we're gonna get. A lot much more than that. We're gonna get a new movie, and uh, we're gonna get a new movie every year, basically. Well, Alexander, we so we, I, we've covered kind of where we've come from throughout our lives, and in, in terms of uh, being Star Wars fan, fans up to the point that we were born, basically, until uh, the release of Star Wars Rebels this past year, and and the second season this year. Um, let's you know, let's we're gonna we're gonna take a break here. And uh, on the next episode, we're going to get into what we call the Expanded Universe, which was all the stuff that came after um, Return of the Jedi previously. And then we'll talk about kind of our fears and our concerns, our expectations, and our just our general feeling about The Force Awakens coming out next week on the next episode. Sound good? Sounds good to me, Kale. Sounds good. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. Maybe we can get Andrew on, on, uh, on the next episode. If he hears this, I'm sure he's going to want to join in because he's probably going to listen and be like, man, I really wanted to say this and that and this and that. So um, for Alexander, I'm Kale. Thanks for listening to this Star Wars special uh, on the Woodward's Podcast Network. We'll uh, talk to you next, next time as we delve into the Force Awakens preview show. See Thank you, Kale. Thank you. May the Force be with you. This has been a WoodwardsDetroit.com production. Your Detroit Avenue to alternative pop culture talk.